0: Welcome to the Inside Aesthetics Podcast. We host real conversations with real experts from around the world. Away from the filtered bubble of social media, our aim is to educate listeners and explore any topic in the cosmetic and wellness space. We also get a unique insight into the business minds of the entrepreneurs and pioneers who have helped shape our industry. This podcast and its related publications provide
1: news and general information about procedures and products. You should seek professional medical advice and assessment
0: before considering any treatment. Our guest today is Rana Kennelly, a Certified Aesthetic Nurse Specialist based in Chicago in the USA. Rana is originally from New Zealand and has over 25 years of experience in nursing, midwifery and cosmetic injecting. Rana has established herself as one of the industry's most recognized and sought-after educators. She trains for both Allegan Aesthetics and Galderma, in addition to setting up Aesthetics for You in 2013, and has since trained more than 5,000 healthcare professionals. Good evening. Is it evening there, Rana? How are you?
2: Oh, it is evening here. Yes. James, it's morning
0: for us. We're all happy and we've had our coffee and we're awake and bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. How are you? What's been happening?
2: Great. I'm really great. It's a beautiful day. It's been a beautiful day in Chicago, but I'm an early riser, so I go to bed early as well. That's why I've got my dressing gown on already. Seven oh, o'clock no at No, we're not
0: judging you. It's fine. We want you to be <laughs> relaxed and happy. Um, so. Tell us about you because obviously you're a Kiwi. Tell us uh, your journey to Chicago and into nursing and all the rest of it because maybe for our listeners who haven't come across you, you're an you're a aesthetic nurse specialist based in Chicago now.
3: But yeah.
2: you're
0: from obviously New Zealand and I don't understand the journey. How did you end up there?
2: Oh, God. Well, you know what Kiwis are like. We're big travellers. <laughs> we sort of leave for a couple of years and I think I've made mine about 25 years
3: Wow. So I've been on the go, I've been on the go.
2: So I left, um, I did my nursing in New Zealand and then I moved and it was a diploma at that time and then mm-hmm. I moved to Australia and did my bachelor's and then after some time I moved to London and I trained at King's College University and became a midwife. Oh great. Oh. Yeah, I, yeah, where, um, I loved I
1: it. I think that's where, doc, didn't Dr. Tavacoli say he went from King's College?
0: I'm pretty sure he said he did. Potentially he did, yes. Yeah. What did you think oh, of you London? Love- did you enjoy living there?
2: Oh, I loved it. I loved it. I'm very grateful to it. I had a great time. You know, it was a great base Yeah. Um, to travel the rest of the world from, and I got to see so much. And it was, you know, it's such a vibrant city. And also to to experience what I experienced there in a working environment was great too. And I moved into midwifery because all my previous other nursing I sort of, you know, there were days that you went home and you were like sad and you took home the emotion and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, another, you know, sponge down on a dead patient sort of thing and bringing the family in, delivering sad news. So I thought to myself, right, what am I going to do where I have a great day every day? And so I thought midwifery, my mum had home births, my my, my brother's at home and I'm much older than them. So when I was about 14, 15, she had two babies at home. And I saw that and I thought, right, I'm going to get into midwifery and have a happy life and good days. And it just wasn't the case. Yeah, You know, there's days where, you know, stillbirths and, you know, sad moments. And that's where I sort of, I, from England, I moved to Italy for a year. And then I went to France for a year. And in France, I'm like, how do these women look so fantastic? <laughs> They're I just saw, so beautiful. I you saw know? the red
0: wine and Camembert.
2: Oh, yeah, they look great. They look great. And then from France, I moved to the United States. I moved to Chicago. And it's been fantastic. And that's where I got into aesthetics. My career started in a med spa, which was really great because you know, it's so busy. It's really, really busy. I think it's a great <clears throat> stepping stone. Well, it was for me because I saw masses of people and we had, it just sort of came, it sort of came about where we were a training centre and then they sort of pulled me in to do trainings and things. And we actually were a part of a med spa. Like I know that uh, David is part of, uh, is it LCA? L- LCA? Yes, yes. Yeah. So this was called Pure Med Spa, and there was around 50 to 60 locations all around the United States. And so we were a training center in the Midwest, and that's sort of where I got into the training portion of it. And from the med spas, I've now, you know, worked with plastic surgeons, and I think that this is the best career in the world. You know, we have great days. We make people look healthy and well. We boost their confidence so they can create, you know, beautiful lives and conquer the world.
0: I'm a hundred percent with you there, Anna. Yeah. Now, yeah. did you know anything about aesthetics when you were in Europe, or did you sort of stumble across it uh, as a yeah, bit of? I looked, accident? you
2: know, I looked into cl- it's funny. I looked into classes and things in Harley Street, but it was this was seventeen, eighteen years ago, and it just wasn't mainstream, mm. and you just didn't know where to start. And I was sort of fumbling, but it's it's where I wanted to go. My mother's an artist; she's a painter, and I just you know, you just have that ascetic eye yeah. and um, we can train it to a degree, but I can just see things, you know, and it's really hard sometimes to explain what you're seeing to someone that can't see them. And I just, you know, you just kind of naturally gravitate towards something that I think that you're good at.
1: Mm. I think a lot of people uh, coming into the industry take their opportunities for granted because it's not an uncommon discussion that we're having with people is like, the difficulty of finding your way in the early stages of this sort of industry where training wasn't really formalized. We were still like very rudimentary in the treatments that we're doing, but now the training opportunities, the internet conversations like we're having now just make it so much more accessible for people to get into the industry and, and work out who, who they should learn from, who, who resonates with them. Just seems like it's just opened up exponentially in the last sort of two to three
0: years, maybe. What do you think, Jake? Are you... I totally agree. I mean, I did my first course in 2008 and there were a handful of courses around the UK that, you know, sort of turn up, have a coffee in the morning and a biscuit. And then you have this sort of really broad anatomy um, sort of lecture for about half an hour that talks about everything in the face in half an hour. And then you learn about all the pharmacology and pharmacokinetics of this thing called Botox that you've never heard before. And suddenly you're injecting faces and away you go with a certificate and you're supposed to be a master. Um, nowadays, you know, it, it's been peeled back layer by layer and, you know, people like Rana have really sort of taken it to the nth degree where you sort of learn baby steps and you learn little snippets and you get a bit of experience and you, and you build on that. But yeah, back in, uh, well, 10, 12 years ago, it was a bit of a, bit of a joke, I think, uh, yeah. you know, and we were learning even the experts then who were teaching us were admittedly, mm-hmm. when they look back on it now, they say, we didn't really know too much. We were just kind of doing it and winging it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think Kath Porter sort of alluded to that when she, she did our mm-hmm. her episode with us. Um, you know, when she did it sort of 20, 25 years ago, she basically volunteered to go on stage and have Botox. It was almost like a magic trick. Wrinkles <laughs> 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 be gone. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so what, what's the um, aesthetic kind of market like in uh, the US? We've spoken to Subio and we've spoken to a plastic surgeon across in San Fran. What's it like in Chicago?
2: Oh, well, we're in the Midwest. You know what I mean? So more, you know, bigger is not better here. Okay. You know, it's more of a natural right. aesthetic.
1: Um it's like Texas or Miami.
2: No, no, you know, not poodles of <laughs> hairspray and inches of makeup and big boobs sitting up at your clavicle. It's much more of a natural aesthetic. It's You know, it's lovely. And people, what's um, different is that even in sort of a, let's say, a milder environment, aesthetic environment, people still talk about it. So I find that when I go to Australia, you know, the, the the patients are a little bit more private about who they see or what they do, but Americans love to share, right. you know, and they tell everyone in word of mouth is your best source. But they tell everyone who they go to, what happened, how she is, what they had done. And um, the Midwest people in America, the Midwest is known for being friendly and they really are
1: yeah I remember when um when I opened up one of my first clinics in Canberra and canberra in if uh, anyone listening internationally is the the capital of Australia it's a little ch- chunk of New South Wales that they um carved out and called a different state um, and it's a little bit in terms of people's a uh, little more conservative than say some of the other major cities and I remember people coming in with like wads of cash it was almost like they're doing a drug deal, one of them hiding it from their husbands mm-hmm. no one's talking about it and you know I'm here to see such and such, but, you know, don't, don't mention what I'm having at reception. And uh, yeah, it was just seeing how that's progressed and people's willingness to talk about and share is, is, uh, it would never have guessed it when you sort of looked at the industry 10 years ago.
2: Yeah. And I think too, what social media has done is people, it's not so much the before and after they want to see the journey in the middle. They want to see the bruising. They want Mm -hmm. to see the swelling, you know, they want to see the possibility of complications So there's a whole change too, where the um, public is driving what we share as well, which is great, you know, where we can all be more transparent about what we do.
1: Yeah. Do you still get people complaining about bruising every so often or get a patient that comes in and Jake, I'm sure you've experienced this as well. It's like, seems to be something that a lot of people still struggle to understand that it's like, if you don't get a bruise you're probably lucky you should yeah. walk in there expecting one but sometimes it just tends yeah. to be such a major issue for people and i understand that but it's it's, it's crazy when you consider i'm sticking a needle in your face like there is a good yeah. chance i'm going to hit <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm not purposely trying to hit, cause you to be bruised yeah. but it still seems like something that a lot of people find quite quite stressful
2: yeah oh absolutely but you know just setting the expectations i never promise anyone that they're not going to have some down some form of downtime yeah and you know you're con- you're Consent, your consultation, your consent is so important where you're not just talking about bruising and swelling. You're talking about blindness, ischemia, delayed set, nodules. You're giving them a whole gamut. I always do that the first time I meet a patient. You know, I'm quite, like I'm an easygoing person by nature, but the first time I meet a patient, I really go through that consent because verbal consent is just as important as written consent. And I set the scene for our next treatments and um, you know if they go out with the bruise well shit they've not gone out with blindness have they (laughs) been a good day (laughs) a bruise is a a bruise is way better than having ischemia or something like that so we're not trying to harm people these things can just happen in the most experienced of hands you know yeah
0: agreed agreed so what's it like as a kiwi working in the u.s do people still struggle to pinpoint where you're from
2: yeah, they, yes, absolutely. But it's so funny. When I started listening to your podcast, I thought something was wrong with my phone because it was speaking <laughs> so quickly. So then I was kind of dicking around with the, you know, my phone. I'm like, what's this? So I went on to another podcast of yours and I'm like, oh my gosh. Then I got invited on. I'm like, nobody's going to be able to understand me when you speed me up. <laughs> like I've got to deliberately speak slowly when I'm in the US so right. people can understand me.
1: So, do you think people in the States are are struggling to hear us because we talk too quickly?
2: Yes, absolutely. Really?
0: More more Negronis, Jake. What about my posh English accent? Is that hard to understand? (laughs) Fair enough.
2: Um, No, I think it's really nice because for me, I live in Chicago, but I go back home to Australia and New Zealand every year for three months because Chicago's got a brutal winter. Hmm. And now that I've been doing that for 16 years, I have the. I have the best of both worlds, but I actually get a culture shock going between both. And I don't know if you find that, Jake, going back to the UK, but it's not as much like, the you know, the Commonwealth, we've got our similarities, but going from the US back to New Zealand and Australia, you spend three months at home, come back to the US, there's definitely a culture shock. Like, in Kiwis are typically a little bit more laid back, sarcastic, um, whereas... And, and I mean that in a good way, whereas Americans are a little bit more polite and reserved and they mm-hmm. hug it out, whereas sort of more in Australia and New Zealand, you know, got the tall poppy syndrome and the dog eats dog yes. sort of stuff. And so yeah. it's – but I really am stuck in that transition between two worlds where I come back to the U.S. and I've got this, you know, this period of acclamation. and then when I swing back home too, I'm like, oh, gosh, that's so forceful, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's actually really interesting because that's going to affect or play into your consults with your either Australian or your American clientele. Yeah. I mean, it's so different, and, and even in yeah. the language that you use, your your body language, um, how yeah. you arrange your room, how you how you word your consent form, all that stuff is going to be quite relevant. Yeah.
2: To Very different. I find, because when I go back home, I actually reach out to aesthetic peers and I ask to meet up for coffee or even come and shadow them for a day. And it's very interesting how, in general, the Australian patient rules the consult. Yeah. They own it. Yeah. Yeah. I see that much more in Australia than here in the U.S., Right. And I think it's really the personality. Like, you're going to get an Australian man or a woman that's going to say, this is what I want. This is what I want to pay for it. And I've got, to be, I've, I've got the car. The blinkers are on the car. i got to get going. Hurry it up. Hurry it up. Who's <laughs> in America? You know, they come in and they say, oh, this is how I found out about you and da-da-da, they'll tell you a little life story and you get to know them. It's really, it's not, sounds it, it's, lovely, just yeah. it's just different. But yeah. I feel that um, they'll really take your advice. They're looking for an expert opinion. They know that it's a medical grade procedure and they're really seeking the best for their face rather yeah. than sort of a quick in and out.
0: I wonder, I um, you, you know, you mentioned when you first started, you worked for a, a place that had like 60 or 70 um, yeah. clinics. Do, do those sort of things still exist in America? Because I'm wondering if it's a case of if there aren't things like that, then maybe yeah. the value of the clinic is placed higher.
2: Yes. They, certainly there was years ago, sort of 10, 12 years ago, there were several practices like that, business models hmm. of that sort of, and out. let's do it quick. They've got some, but not to the degree of multiple practices like that. Maybe 10, maybe a company's got 10 practices, like what's coming to mind is skin spirit Mm -hmm. in the U.S. And, you know, a very great company. They look after their employees. They deliver great results. But they're doing it well, but not in a huge, not in the huge masses that, that we used to see here in the US.
0: So does the average patient who goes somewhere like that still sort of they're in the mindset of I'm going to the doctor or I'm going to my, my nurse specialist? They're not like, oh, I'm just going for a quick in and out treatment. Is it different?
2: Yeah, I suppose it depends where you are in the United States as well, Mm. whether you're going to a med spa or a dermatology practice or a plastic surgery practice, but also within that model and within those models, it's also like who you're seeing. So for me, and I'm sure you too, Jake, is that we've been doing it so long that you're trusted very quickly by your patients Mm. because you can – your consultation is so clear. They really trust you very quickly and that releases the golden handcuffs for you to deliver and choose whatever product you want to do and they're just going to pay it. Yep. It takes time. Like I talk to other providers about this because if they're dictator, if they're pointing, let's say, to the tear trough and telling you to put half a syringe there and telling you to put 20 unit, you're never going to create the beautiful results that suit their face.
3: Correct, right, yeah.
2: And I think that just comes with time and I think it comes with maturity as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, Rana, we've got a load of nurse practitioners, nurse injectors who are listening to the podcast. So maybe you could give us a flavor of what it's like to work as a nurse in the States. I mean, first of yeah. all, are you, like, how are your qualifications recognized? Did you have to retrain as a nurse in the States?
2: Yeah, so uh, first of all, when I wanted to move to Chicago, I started the process by... Um, Getting your getting your credentials, so you have to send over your credentials. You meet the educational requirements, basically, mm-hmm. and you have to have an English uh, language proficiency test um, if it's English isn't your first language. Especially for yeah, <laughs> yeah, they struggle. they struggled. <laughs> <a lot. laughs> um, but then you go through a company that is employed by the state boards of nursing. It's called CGFNS. And that basically credentials all your education. And at that point, once they clear you, you can sit, you've probably heard of it called the NCLEX exam. Yeah, fair enough. So the, yeah, the NCLEX exam stands for the National Council Licensing Examination for a Registered Nurse. And it, when I sat that exam, you had to fly to the United States to sit it. Right. But now I think, you know, even in Australia, there's opportunities that they bring the NCLEX to Australia and nurses can sit it, yeah. and then from there you um, the next process is getting a visa screen. So that can be something where you've seeked out a US based employer that's going to sponsor you, um, or possibly it's an agency. So, things have changed a little bit. Obviously, the environment is a little um, different at the moment. So, it really depends on who's running the country. So, there can be some halts in those sorts of processes where it's not that it's a big no, it just may take a lot more time. Yes. But for me, when I went through that process, um, I went through an agency. And when I got through the end of the process, they basically... Um, gave me three options of where to live. I had to choose three states right. now America is a huge country and you know I'm very grateful to be living here. I've had lots of great opportunities but there's definitely places there I just don't want to live <laughs> you know so I was like, oh my goodness oh my gosh I didn't realize at the end of this process I choose option one, two and three and they'll try and place me there so literally, I married my partner in London for 50 quid. We celebrated with a pint of beer and I came on his work visa. So that's that's actually what happened. And I still tell him to this day that he owes me 50 pounds and he goes, well, you owe me a visa. So we're even, <laughs> but that's how it all came about. But it, you know, it's a, it's a process, but it's definitely worth it. It's definitely worth it just to have the opportunity to come and live and work in another country it's fabulous.
0: And is each state different? So, for example, if, if a yeah. nurse decided, you know, I'm going to do the, the exam, which you just mentioned, they pass, they somehow get a visa, and then they want to inject in, say, Florida. Yeah. Uh, how does it work? I mean, do you have to have a special licence to inject or can you go yes. off your nursing certificate?
2: Right. So there's um, many answers to that question. So for me as a registered nurse in Illinois, um, I'm licensed by the state of Illinois, but that's not a compact state. So that doesn't mean that I'm necessarily licensed in other states automatically. Uh-huh. So when I go and train in other states, I have to get endorsement by those states to go and train in terms of inject. Okay? Uh-huh. But I could go and speak, but I can't do the hands-on. I can't deliver you know, prescriptions and medical devices. Yes. And then within the states themselves, again, like little countries within one big country, it really depends on which state you're in, how it's um, regulated. So, for instance, in the state, state of Florida, only nurse practitioners can deliver neuromodulator treatments and facial fillers. But you go to Minnesota or Colorado and estheticians or what you call beauty therapists can deliver the, you know, the injectable treatments. Uh,
3: yeah,
1: that's a bit of a cultural thing with the states. I mean, here in Australia, we've got minor differences in laws and regulations between states, yeah. but for the most part, it's fairly consistent. But I've noticed in America, like, There seems to be a huge uh, um, variance between not even just medical, just general life, you know, traffic laws, all this sort of stuff seems to be just almost, as you said, every state feels like it's almost a different country, Um, both Mm -hmm. culturally, sometimes even environmentally, climate. It's just such a diverse country. You can, like, meet someone from a different state and they might as well be from another another country altogether. Yeah. Um, I did have a question. I did have a question, though, in relation to you, sort of doing your conversion exam or becoming a creditor to, to to sort of inject in the states. Did you find like the standard of like education different? Like, where do you think the higher standard is in terms of, you know, what you're delivering as a nurse and what you learn and, and the criteria of that of that degree or or what have you?
2: Yeah, I still think that my nursing in New Zealand was the most strict. Like to give you an example, when I trained as a nurse, we wore epilepsy, like we're in the army, to show what you know what level we were. Um, the hats had just been dismissed. Okay, so <laughs> I remember when I first graduated, I was in the uh, the cafeteria, the hospital cafeteria, and um, a nursing manager came over to me and she asked my name, what ward I was working in, and then she told me I could go home. Now I just left. I didn't question her. I saw that she was a nurse manager and I was like, I don't know what's going on. And my manager called me and she said, You need to iron your uniform. Wow. And that's how strict it was. And I didn't have the heart to say I did iron it. <laughs> <laughs> we our nails checked. We used to have our nails checked. You could only wear a wedding ring. So my nursing, you know, this was, oh gosh, this is 24, 25 years ago. It gave me a really, really good foundation. Like it gave me a very, I don't know whether it's being just a Kiwi as well, but a strong work ethic, pulling together, looking after each other, putting your patients first, supporting your staff. If there's a bit of paper on the floor, you pick it up and put it in the rubbish bin. You know, it wasn't just the fact that you were a nurse, you were part of a, an extended team. And it was strict. And the biggest culture shock for me in all the countries that I've lived in is actually going to Australia. Going from New Zealand to Australia, you know, starting over there, I was working in Sydney, and I'm like, they've got their feet up on the couch in the break room, and they're watching Days of Our Lives, <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh! And when they were changing the beds, sometimes the linen dropped the drop to the floor, and I was like, oh, contamination! You know what I mean? Oh, should so be right, mate. Like, <laughs> <guess the> culture <laughs> shock for me was going from New Zealand to Australia because New Zealand mm-hmm. education at that time was so rigorous. And prior to nursing, I was actually in the New Zealand army. So I was well prepared for the New Zealand schooling.
1: Already, already regimented.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And the education is, you know, it's very expensive in the United States. And, you know, you meet up with friends that have been working for 10, 15 years and they're still paying off their student loans. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And it's
2: just unbelievable. So, Um, I, I don't know how to say, but I think Americans really identify with their career. It's very, very important to them and they really identify with that and they don't really bounce around jobs or careers. They sort of stick in the same lane, whereas I find that from home, if we're not happy, we just move on and we'll change up a little bit and we'll go on holiday. We'll take six months off and travel the world and we're like a little bit easy go easy easy come easy go whereas in America they do define themselves by their career in a good way because they're very loyal but also it's like you know go do something else have a bit of fun it's not just all work 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 and that's where I have to leave for three months of the year go back home and find some balance because here in the states it's a very um you can just get stuck in and just work, not take breaks, not take yeah. holidays. The next minute you're doing 12, 14-hour days because that's the norm. Yeah,
3: yeah, know, where the work-life balance
2: is, <laughs> is it's different. You know, you go to Australia and in January you try to go into a restaurant and they're like, we've gone fishing. <laughs> <laughs> We're back after Australia Day. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I just wanted a fish and a scoop of chips.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I found that when I moved to Australia. It's still I'm just about used to it. I've been here five and a half years, but from Christmas Day onwards, everything is closed. And, you know, in some states, literally, it's like a ghost town. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone goes away. M- many of the businesses sort of, you know, don't exist. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like, well, what the hell do we do? We might as well just leave the country because everyone else is having a good time on their own holiday. Yeah. Um, whereas in the States, people don't know what a holiday is really. Yeah. They just work, work, work. And, I guess that's related to the, you know, the structure of how you're paid. You don't get yeah. holiday pay, etc. Yeah. Now, Ron, yeah. I wanted to ask
1: you. Um, you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago. You were talking. You sort of touched on your consultation process, and you said it's like uh, the goal, really, the golden handcuffs or something. You said.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, you don't like, want yeah. to be handcuffed by the patient. Yes. You know, you exactly. You want to be able to have the ability to how they're presenting. You want to be able to give then the best treatment, they often come in with a preconceived idea, which is just nonsensical.
1: Yeah. So how do you approach your consult? Because that's something that's quite often overlooked or yeah. a lot of people, especially new injectors, I think, who sort of want to get in there and get stuck into the treatments and focus on the technical side, which is obviously very important. But that, as you said, that consult is, is, is paramount in terms of developing that level of trust and understanding what the patient yeah. wants and if you can get that right, then as you said, it opens up the door to do within reason, probably whatever treatment you want to do that you think is best for
0: them. How do you approach it? Can, can I read a DM that I got just this morning to oh. help Rana answer that? Because this is, if you're a, a consumer of injectables, but maybe not an injector listening to this podcast, I think this will really help you. Um, in the future so someone messaged me saying and I've not I've not uh, seen this person before hello I went to a clinic twice and I've already had fillers and Botox next job will be chin and cheekbones how much will that cost cheers
2: (laughs) (laughs) what someone's sending that to you
0: yes so I think it colors just how the process is wrong from the start
2: Absolutely. And so maybe you
0: can now answer that question. (laughs) Um,
2: So I think too, social media is driving business as well. And I think that what you push out to social media is what you bring in. So my philosophy is a natural and a safe approach. You know, I'm not going to do this crazy distortion of like extreme jaw lines or full overblown lips. And because that's what you're putting out there, you sort of bring in this, the same sort of clientele follow through, 100%. and you know where they, you know when they're coming, they're meeting you for the first time. Because with social media, they're kind of like, oh, you just have, they have that little twinkle in their eye, and it's an instant understanding. So in a way, it's easier with those patients because they know your philosophy, they know your work, and they've come to you because of it. Yes. But then there's the other aspect of, you know, a difficult patient when they come in and instantly your tummy goes into knots and you're thinking, I don't know why, but I just don't like you. Hmm. And I'm immediately thinking, how am I going to just turn this into an educational session? Because there's no way I'm putting a needle into your face. And that comes with experience and also the maturity to say no. You know, you've got to say no. But in my consultations, like I said, I'm a friendly person, but I set set the scene from the beginning, you know, and I think it's important to let them share first and listen. People want to be heard. So I'll sit quietly, listen to them, and I like to take photographs of everyone and then show them. I see a lot of officers take poor photos. They don't even do the consultation sharing them with the patient, and then the patient never even sees the photos, the before and afters. But now when you open up, you're opening up so there's many more opportunities. They came in, let's say, the classic tear troughs or nasal labial folds, And now we talk to them in a kind way. You always make them feel good, even if they're a decayed dinosaur. You know what I mean?
3: (laughs) You always say all
2: the nice little things, (laughs) but then you just go in for the kill. You know, you take it by the... No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But you be kind. And then you say, I just simply say, would you like my professional opinion? Yeah. And then I'll talk through all the opportunities. And then I'll go through consent and... Basically, by the time I'm finished, they're like, I trust you. Do whatever you want. I don't talk about units and syringes. I talk about the result and what they're going to expect in a percentage. So let's say... I'll say, I can make you look less angry by up to 80% or I can make you look less tired by up to 20%. When we restore your cheek to where it was two to three years ago, we'll give you some nice light reflection. It'll give the illusion that your lower face is slimmer. It'll indirectly support your tear trough. You know, you're going to have a nice, it'll soften the transition between those hills and valleys. I'll talk in a way that they understand And also that consult is catered towards that patient's personality. I wouldn't talk like that to either of you guys because you're like, you're in, let's get this party started, (laughs) I'm done, when do I come back? You know, we've got different patient personalities that we have to cater to. We've got a patient that requires a lot of information And you've got a patient that can be a no You can be the overly friendly patient. That's me. It's so annoying. You know, I recognize me and other patients. I'm like, oh gosh, I'm so annoying. Um, So you have to cater to them as well. Use body language, listen. But I think in terms of being able to deliver the vision that you see, because your aesthetic eye is most important, is letting them know the opportunities and showing them your work not the glossy brochures but your work all the before and after work and don't choose you know if I'm having a consultation with a Puerto Rican woman I'm not going to show her a Caucasian woman you know I'm going to show something similar the same you know the same age you know the same ethnicity and I think that really helps Mm
0: -hmm. you know I love about what you just said Rana it's like A lot of people come in with this expectation of exactly what you said of, oh, I saw a before and after and I want that. And you're like, well, okay, let's let's sort of reel this back to reality and your own face. And so rather than putting it in terms of, I'm gonna promise X, it's more a case of I'm going to make you look less tired. And if you Mm -hmm. accept that, then great, let let's do this. But you can't really put a number on I'm going to make you five times less tired. It, it doesn't make sense. You, you just have to sort of be a little bit arbitrary but accept that you're definitely going to make them better but mm-hmm. you, you shouldn't have an exact picture in your mind because that doesn't really exist. There is no sort of final result that you can promise. What do you, yeah. what do you think about um,
1: things like uh, NLP or for anyone doesn't know what that means, like neuro-linguistic programming where you actually yeah. study communication? Yeah. Because I love what, it. Yeah, yeah
2: so in my um, that was our first week of nursing school
1: yeah right wow and that's a really powerful tool to have to understand yeah how to, it's absolutely how to powerful
2: and in our first week we had to in the classroom hold up a mirror and say I love you and it was really really difficult because we're all you know we all just started in this course getting to know each other we're like, you know we oh my gosh oh my gosh and the teacher was really I remember. I remember the fa- his favorite shirt. It was this bright purple color, and his name was Richard. But anyway, we he made us. He was so serious about it. We had to go home and look in the mirror and say, "I love you" and mean it. It's so difficult to do, right? I, yeah. On the other side, I'm just remembering when I started midwifery, we had to put our hands up, and they said put your hand up, who's felt their cervix? And I'm thinking, no one has. And I was the only one that hadn't felt their own cervix. And the teacher, the midwife goes, Rana, you have to go home tonight and run a warm bath. And I'm like, oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) So it's sort of like, you know, I love you from the outside to the inside.
1: Wow. Yeah. So you're a trainer for um, Allagan, and a galderma. So you've got a foot in, yeah. in each camp. How does that How does that work for you? How do you sort of manage that potential conflict of interest or making sure you're yeah. not favoring one company over another? How does that work?
2: Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't see it, and I should say that we don't really see it as a conflict of interest okay. here in the United States. Like like I said, when I pop home and I meet up with other providers and chat, you know, I've met up with people in Australia and they're a galderma trainer and they're like, oh, how could you train for Allergan? And then I'll meet up someone in Australia and they train for I'm like, Oh, you train for Galderma? Their products are terrible. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? <laughs> I don't know what it is, but here in the United States, it's almost a bonus that you're training for both companies because they're wanting the pharmaceutical companies in general want you to go in and share your expertise. hmm and they want the industry, look, if we're all doing great work, there's great results walking around and business is booming for everyone. So, you know, Allagan doesn't put a stronghold on me. Gail Derma doesn't put a stronghold on me. And if you look at sort of the, let's say the injectors that are well-respected in the industry, they're often trainers for both. Mm. Mm, interesting. And it's considered... Um, that, you know, we're going in there and we're being really authentic. Of course, if I'm doing a training for Allergan, I'm talking about Allergan products, but also I had an episode of delayed onset nodules and Allergan encouraged me to share that and how, you know, I managed to manage that complication and how I can prevent it in the future. And I've had a complication with the Galderma product and Galderma's encouraged me to share that with accounts. So it's very, very different, I think, in australia where some it may or well you tell me where maybe that's not the case
1: well i don't know jake's probably better place to, to answer that question but i know that culturally we're sort of not real keen on sharing our complications <laughs> no.
3: like well, in terms of
0: no in terms of complications for sure i think open disclosure is the only way we're going to learn mm-hmm. and you know elegance mm-hmm. certainly encourage people to report because if you don't then they can't learn uh, and they can't Uh, teach other people about how to deal with that problem. So from that perspective, no. Um, I guess, you know, in terms of conflicts of interest, I mean, there are people who train for both. I know Steven Liu for for sure trains for both companies. Um, But I think some of the newer trainers like me, it would be more difficult, not because it's uh, an overt conflict. It's just it's just time management and the opportunities that come around are so few and far between that I think it would just not really work. I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible. I just can't see it really happening. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. I think people people are looking for your honest feedback. And I think the best education we can get is off the podium. You know, I feel that, you know, but also in saying that I'm very appreciative towards Allegan and Gal Duma because we teach on label, of course, what the FDA indicates, and through request, these officers have invited me to come back and teach off-label. So that's what, you know, back in 2013, I started up my own business, and it just came organically. I'm like, oh my gosh, people will pay for this? You know, yeah. I'm like, wow. Um, but it's it, I wouldn't say that, you know, it's a conflict of interest at all you know, certainly if I'm in doing a training for Galderma, I'm talking about the Galderma portfolio, but you'll often have an account ask you a question about Voluma and you can answer it, but answer it honestly. I would never bag any product and say, don't use that, don't do that, because how the products are in my hands may not feel the same for you. And I've got my comfort level with not all the products in each range of those families and I've got a comfort level with products that are very predictable in my hands but they might not be predictable in somebody else's hands.
0: Yeah, it's a good point about um, going back to training. We're, we, you're right. We're only allowed to talk about what's on label. So um, if someone in the crowd asks something about, you know, masseter Botox, I'm not really allowed to address that to the crowd because, on behalf of Allegam, they don't teach that. So that that's the only thing where I'd say that it, it does become slightly difficult. But of course, you can, you know, have a private conversation after and sort of yeah. You know, clear that up um so what does training look like well what are your duties with with Allegan aesthetics and Gauderma? What, what what sort of things do you get up to
2: oh it's great um so it's been quiet recently except for online but it's so hard talking to yourself because you're seeing a slide deck and yeah. you're just looking at yourself like this is really nice looking at you guys and I'm looking at your jaw lines I'm like what a shame the listeners aren't getting a visual of you two <laughs> these jawlines these jaw are amazing. Um, so what it looks like is there's different types of trainings where you go into the office and you do a one-on-one or a small group training, or it can be in a larger format. It can be with the advisory boards. Um, and they want to hear, you know, at the advisory boards, they want to hear the truth. They want to get to, you know, they, wanna, they want us to grow as an industry. It does good things for all of us. Can you
0: explain what an advisory board is for people who might not understand that?
2: So an advisory board is where you're welcomed by the pharmaceutical companies, let's say Allegan and Galderma, where they choose people to come in and sit and discuss what the future is holding. So often we get a little insight onto what's coming down the pipelines, but they want to hear what's happening in our practices. They want to hear how they can do things better Mm. and how have we been for you. Yes. You know, so if there's been a complication or people aren't happy out there, let us know what we can do to help you. It's a, it's an absolute priv- privilege to be on those advisory boards because you're well taken care of in terms of the support. They're very appreciative for your and they want your honest feedback. They don't just because they're paying you, they don't want to hear lies. Yep. They want to hear the truth. Yeah, no.
0: that's good. And what are the training opportunities like generally in, in America? So if you're a, a nurse practitioner wanting to learn how to do injectables, where do you start?
2: So you mean training to be a trainer? or No, sorry, you training
0: to... to be an injector, sorry.
2: Yeah, so where do you start? Oh, gosh. Because um, we struggle well, with that you...
0: question here because there isn't yeah. a pathway.
2: No. no, there's no fault. We've got certified acidic nurse specialist. Which is a true certification where we sit an exam, but it's only for nurses and nurse practitioners that work with a dermatologist and or plastic surgeon. So it's considered core, but there's other great aesthetic providers that have their own practice, but they're not working under a plastic or a derm. Yeah. So it's got a it's sort of it's not fair for some people that really deserve that title as well. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot more opportunities now than there, there were. And I think that the problem now is sort of sifting through and finding out which ones are the best and authentic. Um, it's not someone just trying to take your money and rush you through a course. It's actually someone that cares about you, cares about uh, the community, cares about safe results, uh, cares about giving you mentorship and, and setting you on a good path, really, you know, setting you on a good path because there is um, some trainings that um, they're more about the dollar rather than the, rather than the business of creating good business
1: yeah you touched on uh, having a supportive community what what does that look like i guess where you're at or you know if you want to speak about, on uh, sort of other areas of the states in terms of people sharing their knowledge complications pitfalls like do you find that people sort of come together and and sort of lift each other up or is everyone sort of yes. you know keeping to themselves or keeping those little pearls of wisdom you know for, for their hands only or is there that that community sort of
2: oh absolutely there's a great community absolutely it's really great we are Um, you know, my phone can call at midnight with someone with a complication, but I'm going to pick it up because I know when that day happens for me, I've got so many phone numbers to call and get that support back. And people do share, like I had an ischemic event about, oh gosh, about three or four years ago. And prior to that, I thought to myself, that will be the day that mother nature is telling me to hang up my hat. Mm. And when it happened, I just like even now just talking about it, I've got goosebumps. Like she, it you know, looked terrible, but she fully healed, and she still sits in my treatment chair to this day. But I went through emotional scarring, and what I did instead of hiding under a rock, I actually presented it at a conference, and I was choked up and nearly crying, and. Not many people did that three or four years ago.
3: Yeah.
2: And what I found after I gave that talk, so many people came up to me privately and showed me photos on their phone of their own complications. And that's how we learn as an industry, by sharing, you know, what, what's hurt us the deepest and how can we prevent this, recognize it, manage it better for everyone else doing this. We're doing more, okay, so complications are going to go up. They're still rare, thank goodness, but it's possible, again, for even in the most skilled hands.
1: Yeah, if you're not having complications, you're probably not doing
0: enough treatments because everyone gets them right, even the best. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree about that. Um, So you're kind of mainly known for obviously training. You've, You've also launched your own training sort of videos online. Tell us about that.
2: Oh, well that sort of came. Well, when uh, we went into lockdown, I had some classes planned. I had a couple of, I had an international speaker coming over to do a couple of classes with me and some other classes. And then I just had requests by people. Can you put this online? I'm like, really? You want me to put this online? So I did it in the basement (laughs) <laughs> I did it in the basement. That's where I, you know, that's where I tie up my husband when he's being. But I did it in the basement and I put it together and it was again so hard to talk to yourself. But um I've had really great feedback. I got them accredited and the feedback's been really fantastic. And I was I, I you feel kind of really awkward, you know what I mean? Because you're putting yourself out there. Yeah. But I'm like, okay, I'll take it. But I'm like, I still feel like a bit of a dick. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah so when you're assessing a face or con- you know concocting a plan we're putting together yeah. how, how do you sort of approach it how do you sort of stage um, this transformation that you're planning in your head do you sort of you know do you start with like you know structural support around, you know yeah like ha- in terms of the layers and, and sort of stages yeah. how, how do you how do you work that
2: So when I'm talking to people newer to the industry I talk about outer beauty and inner beauty. And imagining the person with their skin peeled off and you're looking at the frame of their face or their skull and the outer beauty, what we want to do first is restore the outer beauty with those bony eminences have resorbed or widened or retruded. We don't want to do high-risk areas, of course, not when you're first starting, but that bony frame would be temple, zygoma, anterior cheek, piriform, jawline, pre chin, And I find that when you restore that outer beauty frame, typically it's done deep with cannula or small aliquots on the supraperiosteum, you indirectly flower open the soft tissues and you're not focusing in on the middle of the face and creating sort of, you know, monkey mouth or overfilled cheeks. The chipmunk look. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. and then the inner beauty is done just to soften the hills and valleys so going into the tissues um, with a cannula again or a needle and you're looking at the you know the tear trough the nasolabial fold the marionette, the labial mental crease and perioral region and the lips but that's all done in a very gentle way and I find that you know, obviously we use bone mimicking products for the outer beauty to mimic the bone. And then we sort of come up, we use products that mimic good fat as if you were doing a fat transfer. We use products to mimic the dermis and the epidermis and starting from ground up, you know, because if we start with the interior design first and the whole, you know, the whole platform is weak, we're in big trouble.
1: Yeah. It's like painting your wall before you go. Yeah. Um, and you wall coming down.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's
1: only a temporary thing and it's never going to look right
0: do you use any sort of props in your consultation like a skull or diagrams or videos like how how do you talk to people and teach them about facial aging because i think that's that's the barrier for most new people coming in they're like oh i've got these lines from the corner of my nose to my mouth and i just need them filled i don't want anything else and then you know we've all been in that conversation so how do you how do you tackle that
2: Yeah, so on my iPad I have, um, you know, that's where the before and after my work iPad, they've got their before and after photos, but I also have pictures of complications, Mm -hmm. the ageing process, and I also use my face as a teaching tool, Mm -hmm. and then I'll also gently touch their face as well just to make it relatable to them. And I'll talk about how I'm ageing, if it warrants the consultation, if it can mirror what's going on with them as well. Yeah. and But in terms of a skull, I don't have a skull in my treatment room, but I do have one when I take it to a classroom. And yeah. I used to take calipers um, when I did Dr. Arthur Swift's course years ago. Yes. Um, you know, I brought those $1,000 calipers. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to throw them away, right? Yeah. Good. And, you know, I used to pull those out for patients that I didn't treat very often. It just double checks your work. And so I sometimes, you know, I've got them, but I won't take them to the clinic. I'll take them more to a training because it's a little bit. It also helps other people train their eye. But I don't feel like I need those anymore. Yeah. Um. But it's fun. They're fun to use, or it's fun to share that information with other people.
0: Yeah, and what I love, I mean, if people don't know what we're talking about, so a caliper is like a. um, How would you describe it? It looks like a sort of a a long, sort of curved, big, a pair of tweezers. Like yeah. yeah, And you can use it to measure particular dimensions on the face, like the width of the nose or the distance between the eyes. And if you yeah. look at Leonardo da Vinci's work, all of this sort of uh, is like real. It's uh, these ratios called the golden ratios basically make a face more or less beautiful. So you can kind of measure what mm-hmm. you've done and be like, okay, I think we just need to do a little bit more on the zygoma to get that perfect ratio between whatever and whatever. But what I liked about how Arthur uses the calipers is he can introduce almost like uh, a sales technique to someone just by saying, yeah. Would it be fun just to measure your face and see how, yeah, what your ratios look like? And then people get interested in the process of their face without him yeah. telling them anything about filler or, or toxin yeah. or anything. Whereas, I do it with photos, um, and I'm more by eye. I'm not going to measure the millimetres, but, yeah. you know, I'm like, look, if, if you kind of look at your rough thirds, your chin's a little bit small, so that might yeah. be an area that we can work on and so on. So I think it's all relevant, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, also, it could you depend on, on what type of client you're dealing with too. You might be dealing with a client that's super visual, and they're going to re- respond well to photos, and you're going to have someone that's super, like, detail, wants to, you know, the sort of person that reads yeah. an instruction manual from beginning to end, yeah. might be really interested in caliper measurements and sort of data might be something that resonates better with them. So that sort of gets back to what you were saying, Runner, in terms of understanding how to read your patient, getting taking some initial cues to go, okay, this person's visual, I need to focus my console on being visual heavy, or this person's really about every single detail and I have to really focus on on data and statistics and, you know, complication rates and all these sorts of things. Sort of like, you know, you, you're tailoring wow. it to each person.
2: Yeah, and you've got to be careful too with the calipers because um you know it's sort of about symmetry too but a lot of faces are asymmetrical and then they sort of get caught up on that look at this face yeah and i think you know we don't want to be perfectly symmetrical we talk about this you know 10 out of 10 but really some of the most attractive faces have the little twer- you know the little nuances in them and that's what makes them interesting and attractive yeah. <laughs> yes, your face, Jake. Your face. <laughs> but it would be like me, like I always say, you know, I don't want to stand on a pair of scales in front of everyone. You know, that's private to me. Yeah. I don't want to tell you how much I weigh. And maybe you're not comfortable getting your face measured, your your yeah. beauty measurements in front of a friend too. But it, it look, whatever Doctor Arthur Swift says, I absorb it in every pore of my body
0: (laughs) yeah he's incredible he really is incredible so once you've built that platform bony frame uh Mm. then you've come to the soft tissue i know you've also got this concept of the the sprinkle tox or yeah. a micro tox can you yeah. talk about that because that's that's really interesting it it's it sort of never really fully kicked off here in australia there there is a device called the v2 device um we actually discussed on one of our podcasts that you can basically mix up your tox with filler and sprinkle it all over the face and, and do similar to what you do but can you just yeah. talk to us about the actual concept and why you do it
2: yeah. So, I talk to my patients about restoration first. So, you know, you could have been brought, born congenitally weak or through habits during the developmental stages of, you know, a young child. Mm-hmm. So, I'll talk about, you know, or through maturity, you've got weakness in your skull. So, first of all, I'll go with the platform and supporting through all those layers. Yeah. And once that's rejuvenated or restored, then I'll go with what I call a full face sprinkle to the face, neck, and décolleté, and it's really a combination of your muscle tox with your skin tox, and that's either where you're injecting right into the belly of the muscle, let's say the procerus and the head of the corrugators, but we now we understand anatomy better, and but the tail of the corrugators are inserted more superficial, so we'll do more of a skin tox there. Yeah. But we want to keep activity in the frontalis. We want to keep activity in the crow's feet. We just want to quieten it. And that's where I inject really superficially with skin tox. But what's overlooked in our industry as a whole is the lower face. And we can have a big disconnect between the upper face and the lower face where the upper face looks like let's say a swollen grapefruit and the lower face looks like a prune. Okay. You know, and this is particularly if you haven't rejuvenated them with facial fillers first, you haven't supported that platform and you get this, you know, those story books with kids where you kind of swipe the heads and the, torsos and yeah. the legs it's just a real mismatch you yeah,
0: know and that's actually a really common thing you, you do get um patients who've been with you for years but they've never taken the, the leap to do yeah. fillers so you've been doing their forehead for like 10 years and and, and eventually the lower face catches up with them and yeah. really that work should have been put in five six seven eight years yeah. ago to sort of keep it you know up to date as well
2: Yeah. When I changed my practice into to doing that full facial rejuvenation, I thought to myself, how am I going to incorporate this? Because I've been treating these patients like averagely for so many years. Like, how am I going to say I've not been doing a great job? But I just brought it into the conversation and I was honest and like, oh yeah, I'll try that. Do you think I should do it? And it just is like now they just come in and just go, Rana. Can I have the sprinkle? Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, why did I call it that? It's so that's so immature, but it just works.
0: Sounds American. I'm going to give you yeah. sprinkles, <laughs> sprinkle magic talks. Let's
2: hug it out. Let's hug it out.
0: <laughs> yeah. um,
1: Rana, an area that's very difficult to treat, and I know a lot of injectors sort of struggle with this area. It tends to be um, something that looks good initially, and then for whatever reason, it can look crap. In 12, 18 months is the tear trough region, um, yeah. and you you talk about your C is it the C curve?
2: Yeah, the C yeah. curve. What, to, what so, what's it about? So that is basically supporting the the C curve, the frame, the bony orbit around the periocular region. Mm. So starting with let's look at the temple area, you know, and when we're supporting deep at the supraperiosteum here, we're actually supporting the roof. And then when we come to the lateral um, compartment of the zygoma, we're supporting the lateral sooth and the medial sooth. And then I come to the piriform on bone. So this is all bony work. And it's just a C-curve around that lateral aspect of the eye that indirectly reflates that tissue and indirectly supports the tear trough. And the tear trough is such an unpredictable area because the thin, thin-skinned, laid on the muscle which is laid on bone you know there's no good juicy fat in there so with the tear trough region you know it's about strengthening that skin with prp with prf with micro needling um possibly with threads i don't use threads in my practice i want to learn them but i don't currently use them Um, so it's just about strengthening and and also telling your patients that i know that that's what you're pointing to but Your cheek, when you smile, needs to have somewhere to park. You know what I mean? We don't want you (laughs) to look like it's overfilled because with all the portfolio of HAs, and we haven't got a tear trough indication in the US, Mm -hmm. but it's coming, and it's going to be an absolute nightmare because when we get an indication, it's for a specific area with a specific product. And no HA is great in the medial tear trough. It's just not. There's no perfect HA there because it draws water, it swells, it's unpredictable because the orbicularis oculi is pumping away, people have sinuses, allergies. It's just a very mobile area. Mm. And um, also when a product gets FDA approved, just to give you an example, uh, your approval in Australia for Restylane Silk is as a skin booster, and our approval for Restylane Silk in the US is for lips. Right. Okay, interesting. So it's sort of, you know, same, exactly same product. Often it's the same product, but it's got a different name, so it can be confusing. So our FDA indications aren't necessarily the best indication for that product.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, the way a study works, it's a bit clunky. So, you know, you've got to prove it does something. So you choose a part of the face and the study gets done on, say, the nasolabial fold and suddenly you've got a filler for the nasolabial fold. But actually it's probably better for for something else.
2: Right. And also they're not relating the indications related to anatomy. Yeah. So what's approved for the nasolabial fold into the mid to deep dermis is such an unsafe technique. Yeah. Now we understand more, and we're like, "Hey, this is where the angular artery is, the facial artery. Let's inject related to anatomy rather than what we're being told to inject by the FDA in these clinical trials." Mm. How does it
0: work for you guys? Uh, so, when you're training, obviously you've got to be on label, but in your yeah. in your office, can you sort of use your skill and experience to use it off label?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's in your consent form. Yeah, okay. so you would use your aesthetic eye and your your judgment and and uh, you know, it's not often that we're even. Every I would say eighty percent of our products are approved for the nasal labial fold. Well, I can't remember the last one. I last time I treated one. Yeah,
3: exactly. I exactly. <laughs>
2: Can't remember the last time I put a needle into the mid to deep dermis of the nasal labial fold.
3: Yeah, I
0: saw um, a really interesting thing. It might have even been on your YouTube that you didn't even realise existed. I didn't know. So. <laughs> Yeah, you took a filler and you you blended it with some bacteriostatic saline yeah. or the tear trough. Because yeah. you're, the, I really liked how you described it. You said that the filler is like a dry sponge
3: mm-hmm. and we want
0: to add some moisture to it to make it a wet, soggy sponge. So once it's put yeah. in, it doesn't absorb even more water. Right. So you, basically, what you put in is what you see. It is... Yeah. Kind of how I how I took it. So, how do you treat your tear trough once you've done your C curve and your indirect support?
2: Yeah. Well, I try to sit on my hands as much as possible. (laughs) Okay. Okay. I try not to put an HA in that medial tear trough. Okay. And it's so tempting. You know, it's so tempting. I'll say that when you do treat a tear trough, as long as it's a virgin tear trough, you're going to have pretty good results. But if that patient has been to several other providers, had a lot of different products in there, it's a disaster. And that disaster is going to come back to you, not in a week or two, but in three to four months. And now it's your problem and it's all the junk behind it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Including your junk. So first of all, I'll say try really hard to sit on my hands and try to use like regenerative therapies to strengthen the skin. And if I do use a trough, I will blend my filler. Now that's controversial because obviously it has to be done in a sterile manner.
3: Mm.
2: And we're manipulating the product as well. So, yep. you know, are you covered by your insurance and all those things come into play as well. And my favourite product for that is Restylane, but that's the first HA that was put in my hands and it's the one that I'm most, I'm the, you know, you just I'm know most what it does. comfortable with it. Yeah, I just know, I can predict what it does, but I'm using such a tiny amount, let's say 0.1, yes. you know, per side. It's such a little amount. And to get it under the muscle, it's almost impossible. It's adhered to the bone. Yeah, the medial you know, so side you use, The next thing is I may transfer it to a BD insulin needle and do little droplets, avoiding the infraorbital artery, of course, or switch to a cannula. But to get it under that muscle, is you're always going to have some product in the fibres of that muscle. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Now, I don't know whether you tuned into the um, webinar we did Oh, probably about what four six weeks ago now Jake with Dr. Mobin Master mm. who's a um, doctor in Australia down here in Melbourne or yeah. down here. and he was talking to us about um, using sonography to yeah. avoid um, you know occlusions we also talked about the utility of using it for um, pre-assessment so taking like a, a full scan of someone's face and seeing, where there's filler because sometimes patients aren't honest or they'll forget about a treatment they had. And so just to give you an indication of what you're actually looking at beneath the skin before you inject as a pre-assessment and safety tool. Have you heard of this before? And like, what what are your thoughts on it?
2: Yeah. Um, Well, the first time that I saw it being done was with Dr. Kate Goldie in London. Mm -hmm. She's wonderful. Yeah, she's great. She's amazing. I love her. And I was in her office doing a private training and she was using ultrasound for temples and I was yep. like wow this is so futuristic she's just amazing and that was the f- that was several years ago and then I reached out actually to Dr. Mobin um, Master at Christmas because I saw I heard someone say something about he had a patient where the actual HA went behind the eye yes yeah. and, through the and I'm just septum. like oh my gosh could that have been one of my patients no I'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> Um, But I just know, know, it's it's fascinating, isn't it? That we're not seeing it, but you can see it with these devices. And I think this is really what's exciting for our industry to add another element that can give us better, more predictable treatments. And also the big positive is the reversibility to, rather than if we have an occlusion, we can use the ultrasound to actually localize it yeah. and be very, very specific, rather than just soaking and hoping.
0: Yeah, right? that will be the the biggest utility of it for the, for emergency cases where you just can't see mm-hmm. the blockage. You visualize yeah. it, and you can use like twenty units of hyalase, and suddenly you've you've sorted yeah. it. It's like amazing. Tiny doses, but even for aesthetic issues, because I know Jake, we've had conversations
1: where you're like, "God, I've I've like I've." I've I've dissolved this spot and it's still there. I don't know, like, like, so you might have stuff that's on different layers. So you can just sort of go in and go, right, this is what we need to get rid of. And you can even like, then rather well, than dissolving an entire area is res- removing small
0: areas rather than losing the whole result. Well, you can't visualize filler on an yeah. ultrasound. It's basically visible but you can see a blockage in an artery right. because you can see mm-hmm. the shadow of the filler. So yeah. it's sort of an indirect visualization of filler. Whereas if you really want to visualize filler, you pop them in an MRI scan and you right. write a map a roadmap. So right. then from there, Mobin has uh, developed like a, a protocol where he could, anyone in the world could have an MRI of their face and the protocol would be given to the scanning right. people so they okay. know what to do. And then Mobin could say to the local injector, okay, this is exactly what you need to do. The highlights, sorry, the fillers at this level. I recommend the cannula or needle and so on. So it's it, it's going to evolve as, as as this sort of goes. But yeah, you can't actually see filler with an ultrasound. That that's mm-hmm. that would be amazing if you could. Yeah. yeah,
1: That's what I was thinking. I was like, I thought I must have misunderstood when he was doing the webinar. But I, I thought that's what he said. You could actually see see where the filler was. See the results under. Okay. Got yeah,
2: it. and it's also very technique dependent. Like it's not something that I'm going to be able to pick up and go, oh, no. this is easy. It's going to be, you know, a course, accredited course that's going to require quite a bit more learning. And, um, you know, when I saw Dr. Kate Goldie, I thought, how the heck is she doing this? Like I would need to grow a pair of arms out of my waist, yeah. you know, to be able to manage it, Yeah, you know, to yeah. be able to hold it, inject, observe the learning curve.
0: I I know that people who have done that rudimentary course and they've put their hands up and said, look, I'm going to have to do this every day, probably for two or three years to really even be a novice at it. It, it, It's like training someone to be an ultrasonographer in a day, it's just not going to happen. So yeah, but you know, if you can teach someone some basic skills to have a a cheap ultrasound in their room, like you said, Mm -hmm. just for things like the temple, just on one spot, then cool, then that might be useful. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I believe that they sort of come in smaller units now, you know, You can get smaller units, which makes it easier for the practice. But it's so exciting. There's so many things on the horizon, and all these are good things for us.
0: Yeah, 100%. Can I just wheel you back to the microtox thing? I forgot to ask. So when you're doing lower face or even the frontalis, are you still using an old-fashioned needle or are you using a device to, to sort of spread I it? I still
2: use a needle. We have, you know, devices here like Aquagold, mm-hmm. but I really go with a lot of what the feedback is of my patients in terms of what sort of directs me with my practice. Yeah. And I'll say with that device is that patients love the treatment with Aquagold, but they feel like it lasts sort of three to four weeks. Yeah. Where when you're doing the skin tox, the microbotox, whatever you'd like to call it, you are getting the longevity. You know, you're acting on the interface between the dermis and the muscle, but you're also working on the sebaceous glands as well. Mm -hmm. So you're improving not just the quality of the skin and indirectly getting some of the muscle movement, but you're also improving on hormonal acne. You're improving on rosacea um, and, Patients just go, I just look glowy. Yeah. I just look fresh. And it's so beautiful because we should have animation in our face. We shouldn't be frozen. You know, remember the days where people would come in and they go, freeze me. You know, freeze <laughs> I've still me. got a
0: few of those, don't you worry. <laughs>
2: And you're just like, what? It's so, but it was so normal for them to say that. And you'd go, okay, my I'll favorite, do my best. Uh, you, uh, and then we'd go, are you frozen at two weeks? Are you frozen?
0: Yeah, yeah. Like I, she still comes in. I saw her last week after the lockdown and, and she had like a tiny bit of movement back because she's used to being frozen. And yeah. her phrase is, I need the bowling ball back.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the glossy bowling ball.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, now, you know, it's just for the course, isn't it? Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: something that all all of us deal with, particularly you guys, injectors is the occasional unhappy patient that comes back, has a whinge or there's an, an issue aesthetically. How do you how do you deal with unhappy patients or things that haven't gone right and, and then they're cross with you? How do you how do you navigate those waters?
2: You know, you have to listen. Okay. So really think of your body language, listen to what they're saying, pay attention to their words mm. and reflect on back what they're saying. Um, sometimes it, there's an, a situation where you can just say, "I'm sorry." You know, the words "I'm sorry" are very disarming towards a patient that's very upset and angry, and that's sometimes all they want to hear. Because to be sometimes we, yeah. Can, yeah, sometimes we can mis- be misinterpreting. They're not looking for a complimentary treatment; they just want to be heard. Um, and you can also suggest other options. You know have a chance of saying, you know, what's going on and let's look at some other options for you. But I think first y- your consultation leads you in the whole process. Yeah. So it's very, very rare that I have an unhappy patient now because I don't promise them the world and I underestimate their results. Yeah. And I'm quite happy to say no to someone. If I just don't have that good feeling about them, I'll be kind. I'll listen. I'll turn it into an educational session and I'll walk them out and I'll say, never let them get on my schedule again. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like whatever the way, like really, if they're a little bit, you know, BDD, the right thing to do is actually refer them. They need professional help and the intake forms and things that your offices can use. But Sometimes it's not even a BDD patient. It's just like, what's your problem? Live life. Life's
3: too
0: short. look, sometimes you've got, it's not be cruel to be kind, but it's sort of like you've got to put the block on. And even if you get a bit of heat back and a bit of anger, you've just got to stick with it because it's not worth engaging that and and leading to a a bigger nightmare.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I said to a patient once, because she was pushing me this far, and I said to her, you know what? I have to be able to like you to treat you. And I thought to myself, I can't believe she's pushed me that far that I'm speaking to her like that. But actually she behaved after that. So sometimes you'll say something that you, you sort of at that time when you're saying like, oops, you know, but then I'm like, then she suddenly behaved. And they then become your best patient.
0: Yeah, Yeah. It's interesting. Some, Yeah. Sometimes if you get a a patient who's kind of a CEO of a company, they're just used to being pretty dominant and the Mm -hmm. way they speak to people is very short and snappy. And sometimes if you just, yes, it can go two ways. If you sort of rise to the challenge and give it back, sometimes they respect you and sometimes they don't. So, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I see that, Jake. I mean, sometimes on the days when, when you're injecting with me, I know you said no to clients before that, you you know, you just weren't on the same page or they're asking for an outcome that it's just not realistic and you politely yeah. say no and they go, oh, he was arrogant. I'm like, well, I'd rather deal with that than you come back and be a nightmare for the, for the next two yeah. to three months and create a headache for everyone. It, you just got to sometimes wear that yeah. and just yeah. it's the lesser of two evils. Yeah. yeah.
2: And I say to people, you know, I don't think that we're on the same page or our aesthetic is not the same, you know, let me refer you. But you don't want to refer them to your friends down the road. It's just <laughs> like, oh a practical God. Joke
1: on uh, no, April God. 1st. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> you know, you, again, it's your consultation that's so important where you can yeah. say things like, you know, let's develop a treatment plan together. I'm not going to make you look strange yeah. My philosophy is: you can trust me. I'm going to make you look your absolute best. Yeah. But never ever treat a BDD. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: You don't want you don't want to get to that point either. Where you feel like you're you're taking an Uber menu, an Uber eats menu. You know, I'll take 20 units of Botox here, and like as you say, saying they start directing, but like they're putting in their order in. Just, mm-hmm. It just seems like a nightmare. You just don't want to get into. The McDonald's
0: approach. That's how yes. it's, yeah Yeah. You want fries with that? Yeah. <laughs> Now, Rana, I, we're gonna wrap things up because we've been going for ages. We could just talk forever. You're just too easy to talk to. Just got <laughs> two questions from um, some listeners. Uh, this one is from uh JM Seron. I think he's based in Germany. Um, when did you discover that teaching is your passion? Do
2: you know? I grew up <clears throat> with two aunties, one very close, one was a nurse and one was a teacher. And when I grew up, they used to pull me in each direction saying, when she grows up, she's going to be a nurse. And the other one would drag me, no, she's going to be a teacher. And I look back and have those feelings about that. And I'm like, I'm so fortunate that I've got both. Yeah. Um, and I really believe in just taking the right path that feels good. A lot of things that have happened in my career has been very organic. And it's, it's not that I've hunted it down, it's sort of just, come to me because that's what it should have you know
1: yeah you follow your passion I think if you, yeah, you if follow your passion, dollar really, or something like yeah. that it's always going to be short-lived you can't you won't get, you won't have enough passion to get you through the difficult times
2: yeah and I I do believe that you know we're here for a short time and we have to make the most of it I've always said to myself if I'm in a job and I'm not enjoying it I will change it up
0: get out yeah exactly just get
2: out because we have to be healthy and well rested and passionate to deliver these beautiful, you know, luxury treatments. And our role as aesthetic providers is to make people look good. So they feel good and they can accomplish such wonderful things in their life and the world, you know, and I think we've got a huge responsibility and um, we're very fortunate and privileged to be standing in these shoes
0: yeah, I totally agree. Um, last question. This is probably from our number one fan, ABC Aesthetics by Charlotte.
2: Oh,
3: <laughs> I know
0: she's your number one Charlotte. fan as well.
2: Oh, gosh, what's she going to say? No,
0: this is it's, it's actually very simple, but it gives you a chance to plug your Patreon account. What's, a, what's oh. the response been to your Patreon account that you launched recently, right?
2: Oh, well, you know what? That, that came about, I did. <laughs> well, because we've all done different things during this lockdown. And... Um, there's a few of us here in the United States that we're very passionate about no to self-injecting, you know, no to DIY. And what that means is not putting your injectable treatments up on a social platform.
3: Yeah. Fair so a,
2: yeah. So a girlfriend of mine, um, Julie Bass Kaplan, she said to me, you should start a Patreon because it's for subscribers that can see your world and aesthetics, but you know, the healthcare professionals, and it's been really, really nice because yeah. you're creating this community where, again, I don't know what it is about me, but I post something, I think, oh, that's terrible. And then you get all this comments back going, oh, that was so amazing. Thank you so much. And I'm like, really? Yeah. So it's been really, really good.
0: Well, it's one of the reasons why we got you on. You know, people look up to you, Rana. They, you're you're a very successful and experienced nurse and you've kind of killed it and, and you're killing social media and you're doing training and, you know, you, you're doing all the facets. So I think, uh, you know, you're well-respected and you should just carry it on. Oh,
2: yes. thank you so much. It's very kind of you. Oh, that's,
1: you've, been, uh, you've been officially endorsed by IA. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We need to get a stamp to go on your forehead. Yeah. I'll
2: take it. I'll take it. Stamp me, stamp me. <laughs> now, so,
0: um, you had a... Sorry, Jake. We I, I was going to say, I think you were just going to take the words out of my mouth. You had a, an offer to give our IA listeners as, as an exclusive for your online training.
2: Oh, yes, yes. Oh, absolutely. So they can... <laughs> Cheesy talking like this, you guys.
0: are hilarious Well, 1st point people to where where can they access it first. Where is it? Is it a website? So
2: my online trainings are on Teachable, and okay. the online neuromodulator trainings and online facial fillers. And I've got I'm working on some advanced stuff at the moment to get accredited. Cool. So you can go to Teachable, or you can go to my Instagram and sort of link it in my bio. Okay, and You're
0: making then- me blush.
2: You're making me blush now. <laughs> no, 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 no. You need to
0: serve yourself. Effect. Um, you did text me the offer. I've got it right here. So it's a dollar sign a hundred, hyphen yeah. off. And obviously yeah. And
2: I'll put it I'll off. put it up. I'll put it yes. up for
0: everyone. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time around. It's been awesome. We'll definitely Thank have you. you back maybe later on in the year or something, just to catch up and see where you're at. Um Thank you. good luck with everything sort of with the whole lockdown COVID situation and race riots and black lives matters. I know it's a crazy
2: yeah. time at yeah. the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Good progress is coming. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, there's always, um. sometimes that's always darkest before dawn. Yeah. Yeah. So something to think about there. But, yeah, it was lovely meeting you. I'm looking forward to watching all your videos. So I've just sort of been introduced to you in the last sort of few weeks by Jake, so I'm finding you very engaging and interesting. Oh, thank so, you. I
2: well, I've been, mesmer- been mesmerised by your two jawlines this entire time. <laughs> so it's you. all
0: filler. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> great well have a lovely evening i can't i forget what time it is with you now getting yeah, um, dark there looks it's like it's actually she's in a pj she's
1: ready yeah i've got
2: to. i've got to release my husband i've got
3: to <laughs> oh yeah. it's feeding time. i've <laughs> got
2: to no 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 i tied him up in the gimp cave so i've got to
3: <laughs> oh nice very good we'll have to do a special
1: uh, after hours version of uh, uh, inside aesthetics dungeon dungeon edition <laughs>
0: Awesome. We'll take care, Rana. And once I press stop record, we'll also take a nice photo of you as well. Yeah. (laughs) All right. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye.
3: Bye.
2: Bye.
0: For our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at inside underscore aesthetics. During the week before every recording, look out
1: for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions, or guest requests.